hope. Anyone need some hope? Anyone? No one else? Okay. All right. Uh, and so the, today's uh, sermon is called Hope for God's Family. And what we're going to do is read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. But this is also going to be an overview of the entire letter uh, from Paul to the Ephesians. Uh, whenever I uh, like to meet with someone for discipleship, I usually try to take them through the book of Ephesians because to me it is such a great overview of all of Christian discipleship. Um, it's got everything in it about God's love for us and how his love for us shapes and empowers our love to God, to other Christians, and to those who don't yet know him. And so what we're going to see from this passage this morning and from the whole letter to the Ephesians is, is two kinds of hope. The hope that we have from being loved and the hope that we have for becoming more loving. Okay? Two-point sermon. You're like, yes! Right? Hope from being loved and hope for becoming more loving. All right? So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the glory of your love for us. Thank you for its magnitude and majesty and incomprehensibility and too great to be imagined and better than we can possibly dream nature of your love. Oh God, we pray with the Apostle Paul that you would give us supernatural strength by your Holy Spirit this morning. We need strength. We are weak. We turn away from your love, Father. We can't handle it. It's like staring at the sun. And so we miss out on experiencing it more deeply because we need strength, oh God. We are desperate for spiritual strength to be able to handle the glory and weight of your love for us, Father. And so we plead with you that you would strengthen us by your Holy Spirit that we might know Jesus Christ dwelling in our hearts more deeply, that we, being, having been rooted and grounded in your love for us, might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ that passes all knowledge, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. We are your temple. Fill us with your glory by filling us with your love. Shine your face on us through the, for the, for the, through the face of Jesus screaming out of the cross. It is finished. And his resurrection, oh God, we desperately need you. And so we wait for you and your power. And oh God, give us power through your word. Holy Spirit, we are utterly dependent upon you. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for being our Savior and our Bridegroom and our God. We worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, 
that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory." In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Amen? Amen. Praise His glory. Let's look at the hope that we have from being loved, first by God and second by God's family. First, look at these verses and how they show us God's love. You see, as I mentioned in other sermons from Ephesians, this letter is a welcome and an orientation into the family of God to some of God's more recently adopted children. And by recently adopted, I mean yeah, they got saved fairly recently probably, but also in redemptive history, being a child of God was mostly for, for those who believe in the Lord who were Jewish, who were part of Israel. Some Gentiles got saved here and there, but it, was, it wasn't until the new covenant when Jesus was crucified and risen from the dead and the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church that the promise to Abraham began to be even more fulfilled when God said, I will make you a father of many nations. That had to be obviously through adoption, right? Many nations. How many nations came from? Like, yeah, there's Ishmael and all that, but that doesn't account for many nations. There's the nation of Israel. Many nations is non-Jewish people around the world getting saved. And, and so they were more recently adopted, not only because they got saved recently, but historically he's showing this to us for those who are outsiders, who felt like outsiders, you know? You didn't grow up in church. You don't even know how to look up whatever book, but you just got saved and you're here. Do I fit in here? Am I welcome here? I don't know all those words they're using. You know, it's to those who've been outsiders and Paul's welcoming them in to the family of God. These are Gentile-y, Gentile, gentile uh, Christians. They are from the city of Ephesus, which if you look in the book of Acts, what was Ephesus known for? It was... It was one of the greatest centers of pagan worship in the entire world. The temple to Diana at Ephesus was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. People would come as pilgrims from all over the empire to come and worship this, this goddess, quote-unquote, in Ephesus. It was just known for that. That's what it was famous for. And witchcraft was a huge part of the culture there, huge part. And we know that because when people got, started getting saved in Ephesus... We read in the book of Acts that 
part, part of the result of their coming to know Jesus and putting all their trust in Jesus was they burned their plan B publicly. What do I mean by that? They took their sorcery books and they gathered them in the public square and they burned them and set them on fire and destroyed them. It's like burn the ships. We're here for good. No plan B. Heck with that. And, and, the, and we know there was a lot of witches there because it's, it, uh, it said that it was worth 50,000 pieces of silver. And in the Greek, that means a whole lot of money, right? Right? They, God uses them as, as such an example of, of the most outsidery, outsider, outsider, outsider. You know, they had upside down crosses and pentagram tattoos. You know, they, they were like the least likely in your churchy mind to get saved. And guess what? They're in the family now. And you may be asking, do I fit into the church? I mean, I know, I, I know the Lord now, but or I, haven't, I don't know if I know him that well, and do I fit in? Paul says, of course you fit in. You are members of the family of God. I, your older Jewish brother, am so excited that you are in the family with me. I just, I'm blowing up about it. So I'm just going to spill all this stuff to you because I'm so excited about you being in the family. I've been praying for you. I haven't stopped. I can't shut up thanking God for you because you are with us forever. Isn't that nice? Wouldn't that feel good to be welcomed like that? Right? That's the welcome that God gives us into his family. So we've been loved by God. So what, what the Apostle Paul does is he starts retelling our adoption story. He starts telling us what it took from God to get you into his family and how much love is revealed in the triune God and each person of the Trinity doing what they have done, God doing what he has done to make you his son or daughter. It's amazing, okay? So let's look at how God loves us. First, the Father well, look back at verse 2. He says who the letter is to and who he is, reminding them of his authority, that, all, that his welcome is an authoritative welcome, not like, who, who's this guy? How, how can he welcome you into the family? He says, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So my welcome is authoritative. No one can go, well, he's real nice, but that's not how it really is. No, nope. God's word is coming through him. And he says, verse 2, it's a greeting, but given the context of this, you know, these were greetings used in the Roman Empire sometimes, but he tweaked it a little bit. But look at how God just gives us his love from the very beginning in verse 2. Grace to you, right? Grace to you, God's unmerited favor. Be reminded of God's love and his grace and his stubborn setting his love on you, right? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This was real-time revelation. Uh, you know, the Father just wanted to, tell me to tell, wanted to tell me, and Jesus just wanted me to tell you that he loves you, and, and he's got grace for you, and you have peace with, with him because of Jesus. And so he starts praising the Father for his loving acts. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's an, a way of, of honoring his name. Bless him. Praise his name. He's speaking well of God, who has blessed us, right? God has done good things for us. He speaks good over us in our lives and our future, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Now, you may be like, I mean, I just want a car, dude. I don't know what a spiritual blessing is. You know what I mean? Like, God bless you. Uh, okay, whatever. 
You know, that which is seen is temporary. That which is not seen is eternal. These are eternal goodness from God to us things that are given to us by uniting us spiritually to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's using this language of riches. We have a rich dad who's just lavished good things on us, good things that are enduring, not things that will fade or, or spoil or perish. It says, in the heavenly places, verse 4, even as he, that is the Father, chose us in him, that is Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Let's unpack that. How much does God love you? How much does he know you? How much does he care about you? He loves you and he knows you and he cares about you so much that he chose to love you by name before he made the world. Right? He, he didn't go, boy, she really reads that Bible. You know, <laughs> I think I want her on my team or in my family. No, it's before he made any of us the God of eternity who is from everlasting to everlasting God, chose you by name to have mercy on you. He stubbornly set his love on you. And in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7, he'll tell Israel, it's not because you were cute or smart that I love you. It's because I love you because I love you because I love you because I love you. It's this wonderful circle that's unbroken. I love you because I want to love you and you can't get me to stop loving you and no one can get me to stop loving you and nothing can get me to stop loving you. I love you, I love you, I love you because I want to love you and I'll always love you. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Again, lest we should think it was anything in us that made him choose us, he says that we should be holy and blameless before him. Not because we were holy and blameless, but so that we should be holy and blameless. In other words, his setting his love on us would be the cause of our becoming set apart to him, holy and, and loving and blameless, right? Full of love, representing and honoring God. He goes on in the end of verse 4, beginning verse 5. In love, there's that word, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. That word predestined is to set, uh, to, to be uh, unavoidably happening before it happens, to make it impossible for something not to happen. He predestined us for adoption. There was no way he wasn't going to adopt you if you're trusting in Christ. Now that word can be tricky for some people and when I first heard about this kind of thought, it really offended me, even as a Christian. But know what this is not saying, okay? This is not saying that someone will repent and trust in Jesus and God's going to go, oh, sorry, you're not on my list. You're not one of the predestined, right? It doesn't mean that you can look out at someone who's like flicking God off and say, well, they're not predestined. No way. It's, all, it's open to everyone. For all we know, everyone could come to faith in Jesus in the world. We don't know, right? And so it gives you God's confidence that God is powerful and he's able to draw us to himself and to give us faith in Jesus. It gives you confidence for evangelism because no matter how much someone protests that they think this is stupid, like I did, God is able to draw us in through his love, through the gospel of Jesus. Amen? Amen.
So that's how the Father loved us. He, he chose us to adopt us through Jesus Christ. It says, to the praise of his glorious grace, with, with, with which he has blessed us in the, the Beloved. Jesus is our source of blessing. The blessing from the Father was to put us in union spiritually by the Holy Spirit with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so let's look how Jesus loves us. We're loved by the Father and that he set his love on us. He loved us so much that he what? Gave his only begotten Son for us. You see, what Jesus came to do showing his love for us was... was was also a great display of the Father's love for us. I would never give my son or daughters for you. Sorry, I just won't ever do that. But God did, because he loves you. It's in Jesus Christ that we're blessed. And look at how he, he points us to the cross. Verse 7. In him, it's actually a big run-on sentence inspired by the Holy Spirit in the Greek. There's, it's like, it's in whom, he just talks over and over because he's so excited. In whom, or in him, verse 7, we have redemption through his blood. We have redemption through his blood. What is redemption? It's to be delivered at a cost. It's freedom. It's being brought from some place or some situation out of that into a new situation or place at a cost. What was the cost for God to redeem us to make us his sons and daughters. It was the blood of his son. His son had to bleed for you to become sons and daughters. And when we see the blood, there's so much more meaning to that just than the fact that he physically shed his blood, which he did. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins, the Bible tells us. His blood actually had to be shed. This is called substitutionary atonement. There was a punishment that had to be given for our sins because God, in order to forgive us, had to also punish our sins or be an unjust judge. It's only through Christ that God can be just and merciful. Otherwise, he'd be evil to forgive us because he let, as the judge of the universe, he let sin go unpunished. So Jesus had to suffer in our place, but many people were crucified in the Roman Empire. That, his, his, his crucifixion was not unique. But it's what happened at the cross as he shed his blood that no one has ever done for us. He not only suffered on purpose, bodily, great torment, excruciating, literally, torment, but he suffered the spiritual weight, an equivalent of hell, the equivalent of eternal torment under the wrath of God, the just, righteous wrath of God against our crimes, our failures to love God and love our neighbors as representing God well. We've lied about God because we don't love God and we don't love other people. We've lied about God and Jesus took that criminal record of, of lying about God by failing to love and he bore the full wrath of God in our place. He said, Father, if there's any way possible, let this cup pass from me, but not, nonetheless, not my will Years be done. He asked three times, okay? He was serious before he went to the cross. If there's a plan B, Father, I'm all about it, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so that cup is the image of wrath. We've been, in some of our chronological Bible readings, we've been reading some passages in the prophets that God talks about, I will make them drink my, the cup of my wrath. If, God's, if, if there's hell in a cup, if, you could, if hell were a drink, Jesus drank every last drop of that hell in your place, in my place, at the cross. 
And when he said, it is finished, you could dump it upside down and nothing would come out because he chugged the wrath of God in love for us at the cross. That's how much he wanted us to be his brothers and sisters from one angle. He wanted us to be the bride of Christ from another angle, the family of God, right? The temple of God, all of those things. He suffered for us a suffering that we cannot possibly comprehend, showing us his incomprehensible love. Does that make sense? Amen? You think God loves you yet? All right, so Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit. What role does the Holy Spirit play? Look down. He says, verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. This was something that was promised would happen to God's people, but didn't yet happen under the Old Testament. They had the Holy Spirit with them. They needed the Holy Spirit to make them born again. Jesus was kind of like poking Nicodemus a little bit, you know, giving him a little rib type. He's like, you're a teacher in Israel, and you don't know this stuff about being born again? Come on, dude. That's ABCs, right? That's kindergarten stuff. Being born again was necessary, but this sealing of the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit would dwell in us, could only happen this side of the cross at Pentecost and, and beyond. Because the, the work of Jesus had to be finished in time and space for us to be, to, to be able to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit in this new covenant way. But also, not only does he seal us and convince us of God's love, he, he actually had to make us alive, which is what he did for the saints in the Old Testament as well. Uh, look at chapter 2. Uh, this, is, this is our brother, Elder Butch's favorite uh, passage. It contains his two favorite words in the Bible, and I think you'll know when we read verse 4, but I'm going to start at verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, even the Apostle Paul, good church boy, good Jewish boy, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Two words, right, Butch? But God, what did God do? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that raised us from the dead, because he talks earlier about it's the same power that it took to raise Jesus bodily from the dead that it would take to raise us spiritually from the dead. And that was in connection with the Holy Spirit that Jesus was raised and also raised himself. It's this mystery of the Trinity. But the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead and the Spirit had to raise us from the dead spiritually so that we could repent and believe and accept our adoption. You know, we were chosen for adoption, but we didn't receive our adoption until the Spirit made us born again and gave us the pulse of new life, which is turning away from trusting in ourselves and turning away from living for ourselves and turning to trust in Jesus as our representative before God and giving our lives over to Jesus and choosing to live for him. That's how we accepted our adoption is through accepting Jesus' offer of salvation when he says, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. It's that simple. You can't do anything to get into God's family. All you can do is say, I'm a sinner. I've failed. I can't save myself. I need you. Thank you for doing everything for me, Jesus. If you, if you want to know Jesus and you don't yet, hear God's word to you, his good news, and say, Jesus, I can't do it. I need you. I need you to be my Savior. I need you to represent me before God. Thank you for dying for me and rising again from the dead. I accept your, your sacrifice. I accept your offer to save me. Father, thank you for forgiving me. I'm yours. That's what happened to me September 25th, 1994. And... Um, my life is obviously a little different <laughs> since then. Sometimes not so different, but okay. So we've been resurrected, empowered by the Holy Spirit, but, but we've, we are also illuminated by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit didn't just love us enough to raise us from the dead and to come and dwell in us, even though we grieve him at times, right? The Bible says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He patiently is with us, even though at times through our unrepentance we can grieve him. He strengthens us to know the love of God even more deeply. The Bible says that the Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts. That's one of his main ministries as the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of adoption. He just fills us with God's love. Some of you, I've told this before, and I'll share it more at our evening um, presentation from our trip. But when you all asked me to pray for you, for me, when you all asked me how you could pray for me, I said that God would fill me with his love for this mission trip. Just fill me with his love. And as I was preaching at First Presbyterian Church, Kampala, Uganda, we sang for like an hour about God's love for us. You know, reckless love, uh, uh, good, good father, all these songs. And God filled me with his love in a way that he's never done before. I've never experienced that in my entire life. And that's through your prayers. And God sent me over there to bless me. And it was amazing. And I was crying like a little baby throughout the entire worship service. And I had to preach that day. So I got up, and I was still kind of teary-eyed. And I, and I told everyone what had just happened to the, to the glory of God. And the Spirit did something in me. And he doesn't do that all the time. And we don't live on that mountaintop all the time. He lets you experience the valleys, the doubts. It feels like God's far away. But sometimes he'll do that to you. <laughs> And I pray that he'll do the same thing if he hasn't already done that, that he will do that for you because it is so amazing. And that's how much the Holy Spirit loves me and that's how much the Father loves me and that's how much Jesus loves me. He helped me taste that more in a way that I will never forget, ever. And I'm so thankful. Doesn't that give me hope? Doesn't that give you hope that God loves you that much? There is no possible way you could ever be loved more than you are loved by God, the creator and judge of all the universe. That gives us hope, doesn't it? Well, in a very secondary way, we get hope by being loved by God's family. I grew up as an only child. My parents got divorced and remarried, so I got step-siblings, but, you know, it, I was, it was too late. I was like 13. I didn't know how to share, you know, so it was, you know, but not only are we loved by God, but God has given us one another as a family. Uh, in Sunday school this morning, just talking about marriage from this video series, just the insights that other people through their comments were giving me about how it feels to be a wife, you know, or, and, and just giving me wisdom about my own marriage 
you know, God gives unbelievers a kind of wisdom too and all that, but, but within the church, like, I just, it's so comforting and helpful to have reality of the kingdom of God and Christ's love for us reaffirmed among a group of actual people that you actually know, where you're not just like doing online stuff all the time, or like, hey, I can listen to Tim Keller preach, why don't I need to go to church? Like, we have the family of God. You have brothers and sisters, and it's amazing. The Bible in Ephesians uses all these images to talk about not only our union with Christ, but as the church, because we're all united to the same Christ, we are also stuck to one another supernaturally by the Holy Spirit, whether you like it or not. Some days are good days, some days are bad days, but we are stuck together forever because we have the same Holy Spirit. We're united to the same risen Jesus Christ. So I'm not going to read all these passages to you, but if you think about um, in Ephesians 2 and then 4 and 5, here's the images that we're given, that we are the family of God. God Paul tells these Gentile, pagany, outsider, formerly people that you are members of the household of God. You're not at the kitty table in the kingdom of God. We're all at the same table with our dad together. There's no second class, oh, well, like, you're his real children, but these are his adopted children. No, we are all his real children through Jesus Christ. And we are seated at the same table, members of the same family, having the same father and access to that father by the same spirit. You see how it's us together? It's not member, it's members, right? We're together. You have a family. And sometimes, at least, that family loves you, right? You've experienced God's love through other believers in your life. I have. You have. Sometimes you're like, God, please help me to know your love. And you're like, I don't really feel anything when I read the Bible and pray. But, but guess who shows up at my house and just hangs out with me? And, like, they help me believe the love of God. Like, it's easier for them to believe God loves me sometimes than I can. So I'm like, he's like they're like, trust me. I can feel God's love for you, even when you can't. Like, I feel a, a glimpse of God's delight in you and that he's proud of you and he loves you. So just, like, just know that it's happening in me, even though it's not happening in you. And you're like, oh, wow, hallelujah. <laughs> I've had phone conversations like that. We, we are God's family. We're also the kingdom of God. We are fellow citizens with the saints. We're no longer aliens, strangers, foreigners, cut off, looked down upon. We're no longer illegal, you know. We are full citizens together, even Gentile Christians, with the kingdom of God. We've got the same king, and we are part of a kingdom with one another. This, there's this constant image of you've been loved by God and united to Christ, but so have many, many other people, and they love you too. They are your family. It's amazing. So the, the kingdom of God, the temple of God, Jesus is our cornerstone. We, are, we have become the actual temple of God. We Gentiles who couldn't even enter the physical temple have become the actual new eternal temple of God being filled with the Holy Spirit together. It's amazing. We're stuck to Jesus and we're stuck to one another. Peter uses the image of living stones. We've been, we are living stones connected with the stone who was rejected by the builders who has become the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And we are part of this living temple. How close are stones in a temple to one another? Um, they don't close their garage door, and, the, and then the other stone closes their garage door, and they're like, well, I'll see you whenever you mow your lawn, right? We are together. 
you are not alone. You are loved by God and you are loved by God's family. Uh, we are also the body of Christ. How close is that? Well, we're members of one another. We're part of the same organic body spiritually by the Holy Spirit. We're members of Christ's one body. How much is your nose connected to your face? Hopefully pretty well, right? We're connected with each other. See this image of union with Christ and union with one another through our union with Christ. And we're the bride of Christ. We have the same bridegroom. We're part of the same body with the same bridegroom. And Jesus is not an, a, a polygamist. So we are the one body of Christ. Amen? One bride of Christ. All right, so we're loved by God and we're loved by God's family. That gives us hope because we are loved, right? But I want you to see that this, this very love that God is giving us from himself and through his people is what actually gives us the power to become more loving. So let's look at the second half of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verses, uh, verse 1. We see this power dynamic. We see the power to love um, coming through this dynamic of how this letter is written. There are no commands besides the word remember, and it's remember something really cool, right? In the first half of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The first half is all just your adoption story. Here's how much God loves you. Here's your identity as the family of God, as his children, right? Here's how much God loves you. Here's how much God loves you. And then when he starts telling us what to do, how to, how to be loving, he cannot shut up about God's love. It's not like he goes, all right, well, I've talked to them enough about God's love. I mean, you don't want to like talk about grace too much, you know, because that's dangerous. He doesn't do that. He cannot shut up about God's love and grace even when he's giving us the commands. So look at chapter 4, verse 1. It says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy. Now, that worthy doesn't mean uh, become deserving of your salvation. That's not what he means. Worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That calling is not what we're supposed to do. The calling is our adoption story. He's pointing us back to the very same adoption story he was giving to us throughout the first half of this whole letter. Worthy or fitting or appropriate to the calling to which you've been called. Your adoption story. You were called to God. He says, what's the first thing that we're to be about? I love it. Verse 2. Because I'm so humble, right? Just kidding. With all humility and gentleness. That's the first thing that should characterize a Christian disciple is humility and gentleness. If you read like Christian blogs, you know, I don't know, sometimes that doesn't look like the first characteristic, right, of disciples, right? Or even like, you know, pastors and stuff, how we, you know, whatever. So humility uh, and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Why does he say, therefore? That's the plug. If God's love were electricity and there was a, a, a socket in the wall, he is, the therefore is the, is the three-pronged plug that you stick in the wall. He is plugging us into the reality of our salvation and our adoption story and God's love for us. And that's where the energy and the life comes from. He doesn't, start, he doesn't just go, y'all, just be good, y'all, come on, just be good. He goes, therefore, be humble, be united, forgive each other. Come on, y'all, forgive each other. Put those things aside. God loves you. So it gives us the power to love. His, his, our being loved 
is what gives us the power for being more loving. All right? I want to read this Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 to you. Listen to how he cannot shut up about God's love even as he commands us to love. Again, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. You hear that? He's like, he's not ripping the plug out of the wall when he's telling you to be like God. You know, it's like, here's a, here's a real easy thing to do, right? Be imitators of God. Like, good luck, buddy, you know? He leaves the plug in the wall. He's like, therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. See that? He's using this power dynamic. He's, 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 not, he's leaving the plug in the wall when he commands you to be the, the light, the lamp. that gets the, the turn, When you turn it on, it actually shines, right? As beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Isn't that amazing? He cannot stop talking about God's love. Because he's trying to get us to love, but he's like, you're not going to love unless you know God's love for you, right? He, he can't stop talking about it. This is Christian discipleship. This is a vision of what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. You ready? You use all the means that he's given you to receive and know his love more deeply through faith in Jesus Christ and the gospel. You're just drinking his love. If you don't drink his love, you'll die. And then you're serving his love back to God and worship, to each other in loving fellowship, using your gifts to serve other believers, and then going and being with non-Christians and bringing that love to them, not just individually, but as believers together, inviting them to your parties, all that stuff. This is what he's, he's telling us to do, and this is the power that he gives. And then I want you just to see this dynamic as he commands us in our specific relationships, and then I'll be done. Uh... He talks about loving other Christians. Um, I'm not going to read all the verses, but in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 32, he talks about us forgiving one another, and he says, as God and Christ forgave you. It's not a guilt trip like, hey, God forgave you, so you better love you. He's empowering us to forgive each other by preaching the gospel to us, right? As God and Christ forgave you. When he talks about husbands and wives, he says, husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, He's, again, keeping the plug in the, into the light socket of God's love. Parents and children, he talks about obey your parents in the Lord. Through your union with Christ and because of his love for you, you can honor and submit to your parents even if you don't feel like it. Well, I got saved in high school. My parents gave me a 10 o'clock bedtime as a senior in high school. Okay? In your room, lights off. I submitted to that because I was in the Lord, because Jesus loved me. I sure wouldn't have submitted to that otherwise. All right? And then the discipline and, and training of the Lord, the Lord's love, the Lord's guidance for us. Employers and employees. It was slaves and masters back then, but it applies to employers and employees. He talks about us doing our work as to the Lord. Remember, the Lord loves you. He's going to take care of you. He sees you. He sees your work, whether your employer does or not. To, uh, uh, as to the Lord, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. The Lord loves you. He sees your work. You think, what is, people don't notice what I'm doing. You know, God notices what you're doing, and he's going to reward you for it because he loves you, right? And then lastly, faith to love others by fighting the spiritual war in the strength of the Lord Jesus. Our spiritual battle against the devil and demons is not just for our own holiness 
It's to fight for the good and, and flourishing of God's family. We are responsible to another. We are fellow soldiers in the same war. And the best way that we're called to love each other in that and to fight well as the army of Jesus Christ is through God's love for us. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then all the armor of God have to do with the gospel, God's love for us. You know, Christ's righteousness covering us, helmet of salvation, shield of gospel faith, all of that. So it's his love for us that empowers us to become more loving. And therefore, because we know he loves us, we can have hope that we will get more and more loving over time, right? Praise the Lord. Guys, your wife is thankful for that hope, right? Wives, your husbands, you know, children, your parents are thankful for that. Parents, your children are thankful for that. Uh, we're going to be more loving as, the, as God's love works its way into us as the Spirit gives us strength. And I want to close with this chapter 6, verse 23 and 24. God ends this letter by giving us his love. <laughs> it's awesome. Chapter 6, verse 23 and 24. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for loving us. Oh Lord, would you fill us with more of it this coming week, these coming months, these coming years, that we might glorify you as we respond to your love for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.